Good afternoon and welcome to CCK Live. My name is Jenna Zelmer and joining me today are Michelle DeTore and Kayla D'Onofrio. The three of us represent veterans in their claims for VA benefits before both VA and the Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims. And today we're going to be talking about some common mistakes um, that are made during CNP examinations. And we'll get into what a CNP examination is in a second. Sometimes it's called a VA examination. Um, but we have a lot of information on our website about um, CNP examinations in general, the role of examiners, kind of how to challenge an examination. Um, so I'd encourage you to check out our website at cck-law.com. And let's just get right into it, Michelle. What exactly is a CNP examination? So as, as Jenna said, sometimes they're referred to multiple different ways. So CMP exam stands for compensation and pension examination. Sometimes VA calls them VA examinations. You'll also sometimes hear them called uh, DBQ or disability benefits questionnaire and even sometimes QTC examinations. So altogether, they're the same thing. They're an examination or a medical examination that VA goes out and obtains in support of a disability compensation claim you have pending. So the reason VA gets them is to either, because the first way is that one of the elements for service connection requires that VA have a medical nexus or a medical opinion that links um, an in-service event to a current diagnosis. So VA has to, part of their duty to assist a lot of times is that they have to go out and get a medical opinion to see if they can obtain that nexus, basically linking the two event, linking the current diagnosis to that in-service event. So that's one reason VA will go out and get the examination. Another reason is sometimes they need it to determine or assess the severity of a service-connected condition because either the previous examination you have is too old for VA's purposes, or they don't think that the evidence of record is enough to really show the current severity of a condition. So those are two reasons why they typically go out and get it. Um, so the next thing is usually kind of what maybe an examiner does prior to an examination. So obviously there are things a veteran does to prepare. There's also things an examiner should do to prepare. Um, so typically the examiner is supposed to be reviewing your entire VA claims file so that they're aware of kind of your condition, what the evidence of record says. Um, and that's one of the things that they do in order to prepare uh, for the examination. So then most veterans know that once they get there, they're usually typically having a conversation with the vet, with the doctor um, in order to kind of talk about the severity of the condition or kind of where the condition stems from. So once the examination is completed, the examiner then creates what we call those VA examinations, which is basically a medical report um, that they then send to VA. Typically, we see them in VA's hands, I would say within 30 to 60 days. Sometimes there is a little lag, um, especially because of what's going on right now. But um, for the most part, I would say typically within 30 days, at most usually within 60 days, they're then sent to VA and VA has them as part of the adjudication. So that's kind of the process on what the VA examiner's side sees. Um, and that's also why VA does get them. Yeah, and I think, you know, um, VA places a lot of weight on these CMP examinations. So that's kind of why we wanted to talk about them today and why they're so important. Um, so as you mentioned, VA really uses these examinations to gather a lot of evidence about either whether or not a veteran's disability is related to service or what the current severity of the service-connected disability is. Um, so for that first point, you know, whether or not a veteran's 
uh, disabilities related to service, VA uses an as likely as not standard. Um, we have a lot of information on our website about kind of how to obtain service connection, what that standard means. Um, but if you are a veteran who is seeking service connection for a condition, you wanna be sure that the examiner is using that standard. And then the second point, as you mentioned, you know, whether or not your condition has increased once you have gotten service connected, um, that's why CMP examinations are so important for that um, particular uh, scenario, because um, the examinations, VA, VA is going to put a lot of weight um, and value on that examination. So depending on what the examiner says about how your condition has increased in severity, um, that's going to influence VA's ultimate determination about whether or not you should get a higher rating. Um, so with that said, first we're going to get into some examiner mistakes and then we're going to get into some veteran mistakes um, and hopefully, you know, we can uh, elucidate the whole process for you and hopefully help you um, go into an exam knowing what to look for and to make sure that we can minimize these mistakes on both ends so that you get the best examination for your ultimate claim. So Kayla, let's start with some VA examiner mistakes. Sure. So one mistake that some examiners make is misreporting what veterans say. Um, and this can be for a number of reasons on VA's end. Sometimes they just overgeneralize statements that a veteran makes. Um, sometimes they're just misinterpreting what a veteran says. And that's why it's really important for veterans to be really clear and concise when they are talking to examiners. Um, and we'll get a little bit more into that a little bit later um, for what veterans can do to kind of avoid that mistake on the examiner's part. Um, sometimes they also just don't include as much detail as possible when the veteran is speaking. Um, they, you know, like I said, they overgeneralize something that the veteran said and they don't include the specific, you know, quantities or, you know, time lengths of severity, things like that, um, and just kind of generalize the statements. Um, another mistake that examiners can make is not reviewing the veteran's file fully. Um, so like we talked about earlier, it is part of the examiner's duty to make sure that they have a really clear picture of um, everything in the veteran's file and how that pertains to whatever condition they're evaluating at that exam. Um, so sometimes they, you know, just don't have a very clear picture of what's going on in the veteran's file. Um, and sometimes when they're providing opinions, they're not actually looking at all of the evidence. They're not looking at some of the favorable evidence that's in there, and they just kind of point to anything in the file that's negative. So making sure that their opinion is really based on the full record, not just things that maybe would support um, their conclusion one way or the other. Um, so another mistake that examiners make is just the, the time that they spend on the exams themselves. So if, you know, you're to walk into an exam and the exam only takes five minutes, it's probably not going to be an adequate report um, when all is said and done. Um, when you're in the exam, the examiner should really be taking their time and asking thorough questions to, you know, properly evaluate the disability. Um, they shouldn't just be asking yes or no questions. They should really be talking about you know, how that disability affects you on a daily basis, how it impacts your ability to function, what it's really like for you. Um, so not just kind of checking off the boxes and moving on. Um, they wanna make sure that they're really getting a clear picture of what's what your disability looks like and how it affects you. And then the last one that we're gonna talk about um, and probably one of the more common ones that we see is within the um, opinion itself. Um, so a lot of times what happens is that examiners will just kind of state a bare conclusion. They'll say, you know, your condition is less likely than not related to service and kind of leave it at that. Um, but everything that they, you know, opine on, any opinion that they provide does have to be supported by um, a pretty thorough rationale. So that includes looking at things in the record, um, making sure that they're talking about, um, you know, your your past medical records, um, anything that you mentioned on the exam, 
um, including your lay testimony, what you're reporting symptom-wise, how your reporting symptoms started or when they started, things like that. Um, and they also can't speculate when they're coming to an opinion. So um, if they aren't able to you know, really get to the bottom of something, they're not able to provide the opinion based on what's in the record, what you reported on exam, they can't just say that you know, they have an opinion on something without supporting it um, based on you know, what's actually of record. Yeah, I think that last point is really important, Kayla, because, I mean, the whole reason why a VA examiner needs to provide sufficient reasoning for their opinion is because at the end of the day, it's really VA's call um, to make the final determination. And if an examiner is just saying, well, this this disability isn't related to service, and that's it, um, the, the board doesn't really have enough information there to um, weigh the evidence to determine whether or not you know, the veteran's disability is as likely as, late, as, likely as not related to service. Um, and at the end of the day, if an examiner is just stating a conclusion without any rationale, um, it's really asking the board to adopt that conclusion um, at face value. And that's not something that the board can do. And so um, I think that's really a good point to end on on kind of what examiners, um, what kind of mistakes examiners make. And these are uh, mistakes that you know, as a veteran, if you're going to an exam, um, you want to be on the lookout for these things. If an examiner isn't asking you enough questions, you know, you want to um, volunteer that information. If you don't think the examiner um, has reviewed your file, you want to investigate that. Um, so that, that's a really good point. So let's get into some mistakes that veterans make. Michelle, do you want to take us away? Yeah. So I think one of the most common ones we see is uh, a failure to attend. And this can be for a variety of reasons. Um, sometimes it's because a veteran didn't get noticed. Sometimes there's something that might have happened. I think that there sometimes can be confusion is the fact that VA regulations for certain types of claims actually require VA deny if you don't attend an examination. So I think that Sometimes it can be frustrating. There's a lot of examinations that's scheduled. You don't necessarily maybe understand why, but unfortunately, it isn't the veteran's best interest to always attend the examination. If for some reason you're unable to attend the examination, it's always good to get ahead of it and notify the Compensation and Pension Department as well as VA. VA does have regulations that say that a veteran can show good cause for why an examination is not was not attended by them. Um, good cause can be they didn't get notification or good cause could be you were sick or there was something that intervened and caused you to miss the examination. Um, so keep that in mind is that, you know, rule of thumb, always go to the examination. Um, and if you can't make it, make sure that you try to notify VA ahead of time. Or if you know, you're unable to do it because maybe you're in the hospital, always try to notify VA after as to why. Um, it's another good reason as to why, you know, reading any uh, decision that comes in is very important because a lot of times it will tell you that there is a missed examination. And sometimes when we talk with our clients, it's because they never got notification of it or they didn't know it, it happened. So that's why it's also very important to uh, review uh, decisions that are coming in. Another common one we see, which kind of goes back to what Kayla was talking about, is misreporting. Sometimes veterans don't quite understand what was being asked um, when an examiner does ask something. Um, so I think that they'll provide sometimes maybe an incorrect answer to the question, and it's of no fault to the veteran just because they didn't understand what the examiner was quite asking. Maybe they thought the examiner was referencing a different condition when they asked the question. Um, so I think that something is to make sure when you're in an examination that you really do understand the question. If not, maybe ask for clarification on it. 
Um, and again, it's another reason to read an examination because sometimes you don't realize that you didn't you misunderstood something until you read the examination through. And, you know, the examiner is saying you didn't have flare ups and you're saying, well, no, I do. I, that's not what I meant when I said, I, he, you know, maybe you thought that they were asking, are you having a flare up right now? Not whether or not you have flare ups in general. Um, so like stuff like that can sometimes happen. Um, and again, that's why it's really important to read the examination after. Um, I think that sometimes another point that we see is that a veteran isn't clear or specific enough or um, doesn't fully participate in the examination. So sometimes what you see is, you know, I think that, you know, how do you prepare for an examination? So a lot of times, you know, we do think that it's helpful to know what, you know, the rating criteria does say, but we also think it's important not to just say what the examiner, you think the examiner wants to hear they're not the one that's going to be deciding your case. They're not adjudicators. They don't really know case law or regulation. So if you're, you're saying things like that, they, it might actually go against you and not in your favor. Um, our best advice always to veterans when they go to the examination is to be as honest and upfront as possible. You know, don't hold back. Um, but also, you know, be honest about the severity of the condition and what's going on at that point in time. I also think that it's very important to when they ask you about flare-ups, even if they don't maybe ask you how often it happens, to tell them how often it happens and what happens during the flare-up. Be specific, you know, be descriptive as possible because that's the stuff if you're talking, you're saying you have good days and bad days, all the examination is going to say is you have good days and bad days. It's not going to tell you them what a good day is or what a bad day is, how often you have good days versus bad days. So I think it's very important to be specific uh, when you're talking about that stuff and, you know, really talking about how things really do impact you to be very clear in that description. Yeah, I think, you know, jumping off of what you mentioned about, you know, just being honest and specific and really telling the veteran or the examiner um, what you experience day to day and kind of the overall history of your disability is really important because from my perspective, um, appealing for decisions to court, I've, I've talked to many veterans who, um, you know, went to an examination and didn't either feel comfortable talking to the examiner, examiner or, you know, has that mentality that so many veterans have where, you know, they just want to suck it up and not complain um, and, you know, pretend like they're okay. And so um, that really comes back to bite you when you are in court or even at the board and the board is looking at the evidence and looking for specific evidence about how your condition has um, affected you. And if you go to that examination and you're, you know, trying to put on a good face and, um, you know, just not explaining the the reality of your condition, um, then the board doesn't have that evidence and it can't give you the benefits to which you're entitled. And so downplaying your symptoms is a, is a, um, is an error that I see a lot of veterans make when they go to examination. And then on the other side, you know, we'll often see examiners um, accuse veterans of what they call malingering, which essentially means exaggerating your symptoms um, in an effort to get uh, compensation. So um, just going back to your point, Michelle, about being honest, you know, don't downplay your symptoms, but also don't exaggerate them. Really just be straightforward. Um, don't tell the examiner what they want to hear, um, because if, they, if an examiner does think that you're malingering, um, the chances are the board is really going to put a lot of weight onto that examiner's opinion. 
Um, and if that if the examiner does say that you're malingering, that is why it's so important to request a copy of the examination because you can read it before the board um, makes its final decision. And so um, if you see a copy of an examination that says that you're malingering, you can write to the board or write to the RO and kind of explain what was going on. You can get your own private um, doctor's opinions to kind of refute, refute that. Um, there's all sorts of different ways to kind of prevent that from happening. And then the last thing that I see sometimes um, in appeals at court is, um, you know, veterans won't really understand the role of the CMP examiner, examiner and they won't understand what's at issue. And so it's really important to remember that these CMP examiners are not your treatment providers. They will often explain that in the beginning of the examination. They are just um, interviewing you and examining you in order to provide an opinion to the RO or to the board. And so if you are going in for an increased rating claim, it doesn't really matter to them, you know, whether or not you had your um, condition in service or whether or not it was service connected. Um, that has already been an issue established. And so what you really want to do is focus on the current severity of your condition, um, you know, and vice versa. So if you are going in and you're trying to get um, service connected for a condition, um, telling Telling the examiner all about your current severity isn't going to help them make their ultimate determination about whether or not your condition is related to service. And so, you know, um, making sure that you really understand what the examination is for is really important to allow um, the examiner to make an opinion that is most favorable to you. Kayla, do you have any other issues that uh, we see with VA examinations? Yeah, absolutely. So I think we've talked a lot about what can kind of happen and what can go wrong during the exam itself. But once the exam's completed, it's kind of on VA at that point to make sure that the exam is adequate um, and adjudicate the claim as they should. Um, so some of the other issues that we see are really more so with the adjudication process related to the exams, not so much with the exams itself. Um, so one issue that we see um, has to do with the type of examiner um, who is providing the exam for the veteran. Um, so for certain conditions, there are, you know, a requirement that VA is supposed to have a particular type of examiner provide that opinion. Um, now, with that in mind, it doesn't mean that, you know, someone who is a nurse pra practitioner, for example, is not qualified to, you know, provide an opinion on your condition. Um, this really goes for if you have some sort of specialized condition where a medical professional who specializes in that field is required, such as um, if you're getting an examination for a TBI, um, where a psychologist or psychiatrist, neurosurgeon or um, neurologist would be required to provide that exam. Um, that's really what it means. It doesn't mean that a nurse practitioner can't provide that opinion. Um, it just means that some conditions do require someone specialized in that field. Um, if you don't think that the examiner was qualified for, you know, one reason or another, it is within um, a veteran's rights to um, try to get the examiner's uh, credentials from VA so they can request a copy of those. Um, in general, VA will presume that the examiner is qualified to provide that exam unless um, the veteran does challenge their competency, at which point VA has to then kind of look back and make sure that they were qualified and explain why um, if the veteran does challenge that. Um, some of the other issues that we're seeing specifically right now are related to um, COVID-19. Um, so VA, you know, like we've kind of talked about, they, some exams are done a little bit differently now because of COVID. So um, some exams are no longer performed in person just to kind of 
um, avoid exposure where we can. Um, they've determined that certain exams can be done over the phone or through video chat. Um, and they're also determining that some exams don't require the veteran to really participate at all. They can provide the opinion just based on a records review only. Um, so in the case where there are records review only, um, you really want to make sure you're staying on top of VA to make sure you get a copy of it. VA won't always notify you when that medical opinion is complete. Um, so going back to what Michelle said, make sure you are reading through decisions when, um, when they are issued to make sure you have all of the evidence that VA is using, um, especially right now because they may be getting medical opinions without um, you necessarily being notified that they've been done. Um, for conditions that do require in-person exams, um, we are seeing a pretty significant delay in some of those. Um, there's a huge backlog from when VA facilities weren't scheduling them at all, um, and they're outsourcing a lot of them as well, which is causing even more delays. Um, so if you do have a condition that requires an in-person exam, um, for example, a lot of orthopedic conditions where they have to really measure your range of motion using um, the goniometer, um, goniometer, I think it's called, um, they, they will require an in-person exam for that um, just to make sure that they're adequately testing um, your disability. So um, if you do have a condition that requires an in-person exam, unfortunately, we are seeing a lot of delays on those, which um, is in turn causing delays in getting decisions for those conditions. Um, and then when adjudicating exams, um, when adjudicating claims, like we talked about before, VA really does rely heavily on these exams when they make their decision. Um, in a lot of cases, they rely exclusively on these exams. So um, making sure that you get a copy of it, making sure that the examiner um, is really looking at everything that's of record um, and they're not relying on um, just kind of negative evidence is um, really important. Great. And I think, you know, just to point just on your point about um, the contract exams, VA is making a push to make all um, VA examinations contract exams. Um, and so um, I think this goes back to kind of Michelle's point about kind of how um, there are a lot of different names for exams, um, you know, including QTC. There are a lot of different um, companies that provide examinations for VA. And so um, it's just important to know that if you do get contacted by one of those contract examiners, um, that is a legitimate VA examiner um, or examination for VA purposes. Um, and I think it can be really confusing for for veterans who are contacted by, you know, a non-VA entity, but um, just something to be aware of. So just some final tips. Um, Michelle, do you want to kick us off and then we'll kind of um, go through, we have six kind of um, things to be aware of, um, tips for when you go to an exam and what to do during the exam. Sure. So one of the first ones is it can be helpful to bring somebody with you. Um, I think this is helpful, especially when you have, you know, psychiatric conditions that cause memory loss or, you know, TBI might cause some memory loss. They can help fill in um, some things that maybe you don't remember. They can help back you in severity of conditions. I like it when you're going for, you know, aid and attendance because you need help for your activities of daily living and you have your caretaker with you or someone that helps you with those activities of daily living because they can back you up. They can, you know, kind of specify what they do for you. I will say I have seen this sometimes come back to hurt people. So when you do bring someone, bring someone that is going to be helpful in a sense. So if somebody you think might want to say negative things about you, I wouldn't necessarily bring them. I also do not recommend them meeting alone with the examiner. I think that is very beneficial for the client or veteran to always be present because if things are said when you're not there to the examiner, you kind of have no way of countering it. And I just think that it's in your best interest to make sure you're present. Um, they shouldn't be asking to meet alone with somebody else. 
Um, another thing is I think that sometimes it can be helpful to bring evidence you think that is important for the examiner to look at. We often will recommend that clients bring our private medical opinions. Sometimes it can be very helpful to bring lay statement or lay evidence that a friend or family member has that can also talk about the severity of a condition um, or maybe kind of help verify a stressor that might have happened in service that maybe VA um, doesn't have documentation of, but you do have somebody in service that can verify that. Um, and I, I mean, I'll, I'll say this again, it's very important to be honest and upfront during the examination, because one of the things that's very important, I think, for people to understand it, what Jenna and Kayla kind of went through is that VA relies on these very heavily. So when you have an examination that isn't adequately showing the severity of a condition, your first step is now trying to counter that examination and explain why it's not showing the severity. So the first thing we're doing is, you know, a lot of times we're submitting lay evidence to counter that, explaining the severity, but we also now need to explain why it wasn't talked about during the examination. Um, so it's another hurdle you have to essentially overcome. Um, you know, I we understand completely why clients sometimes don't want to talk about the severity. They're afraid, you know, if I talk about suicidal ideations, they're going to want to commit me or it's going to get back to maybe an employer. But what ends up happening is then, you know, you're talking about the fact that you experienced them and now we're explaining why you didn't report them and said, you know, we're showing why there's a contradiction. And it's just a hurdle that if you don't need to have it, you don't want to try to overcome it. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I think just a just a point about, um, you know, bringing evidence to the examination. I think that's so important because even though, as we mentioned, VA examiners do need to review your entire C file, those files can be thousands of pages long. And so the examiner might not know what evidence you want him to focus on, what evidence is going to be most helpful for him and making him or her and making her opinion. Um, and so if you can bring um, lay statements or, like you said, the private exam um, opinion, I think that's so important in order to really kind of focus the examiner and be both efficient and effective. Um, because, you know, as we said, these examiners um, are supposed to take time to look at your um condition and, and examine you, but they do have a lot of exams to get through. And so as long as we can, as, as, um, if we can make their job as easy as possible, I think that's um, going to be helpful for everyone in the long term. Um, one other thing, a couple other notes um, or tips that we have um, in, in going to exams. As we mentioned, you can um, ask for your examiner's credentials. You can ask for a copy of the examination. Um, Kayla or Michelle, do you kind of know how would a veteran go about getting the name of their examiner and a copy of the report? Would they just ask the RO? Yeah, they can, um, they can request that information directly from the regional office and the regional office um, should be able to provide it to the veteran. Um, like Michelle said, sometimes there is a little bit of a delay in getting everything uploaded on VA's end after the exam is complete. So um, it may not be reasonable to expect it immediately, um, but you should be able to get a copy of it usually within um, 30 days or so. Great. And then once you get a copy of that, you know, that's, that's why it's really important to be aware of your options and kind of what you're entitled to. So you're entitled to a copy. Um, you have a right to get a private medical opinion, as we mentioned, you know, to counter that um, examination if you find that it's unfavorable. Um, and, you know, as we mentioned, you can challenge the examiner's qualifications if you're if you have a condition um, that requires a specific uh, type of examiner. And so you can use the Freedom of Information Act um, to get the examiner's uh, resume, 
kind of see whether or not you think that examiner um, met those qualifications. Um, and then finally, if you want to challenge an unfavorable examination, um, we have a video on our website, which we'll link to below um, on kind of how to um, challenge that examination. Um, so Kayla, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, I would just remind veterans to, you know, after going through an examination, um, try to just take notes as to kind of what you went through during that exam. If you can remember, you know, what sort of questions were asked, if there were any different tools that were used during the process of the exam, um, how long the exam was, you know, how thorough the examiner was, um, just so you have a thorough record of what the exam looked like so that um, if or when you do get a copy of that exam report, you can make sure everything kind of matches up with what you remember. And if it doesn't, um, you kind of have something to, you know, challenge the exam um, and something that's a little bit more fresh in your memory. Like I said, um, and, and Michelle said, sometimes these exams do take a, a little bit of time to get uploaded. So, you know, 30 days, your memory may not be exactly, you know, what it was right after the exam. So just having a fresh picture of, you know, what the exam actually looked like can be really helpful if, if you do need to challenge it in the future. I would say one thing is when you do review the examination, there may be some inadequate stuff or like inaccurate information in there. Some things are minor, you know, they might get, you know, your date of birth or something wrong, but some things are very major and you shouldn't just let them sit. We should, you should be working to try to submit evidence to counter that, whether it's lay evidence or something, just because as soon as they have that information, they're going to assume that's fact, unless you show them otherwise. So I just think that it's very important to make sure that you're like we said, some things get misunderstood or misreported. You want to try to correct those um, as soon as possible so that that information is also before VA adjudicators. Yeah, I think that's a really important uh, note to end on. So um, thank you guys. Thanks for joining me today. Um, again, my name is Jenna Zelmer. Uh, I have Kayla Genofrio and Michelle DeTore here. Um, and hopefully uh, this was helpful to you. Um, and hopefully you will join us next time. Thanks.